You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to this episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and today's subject is Battery of the Nation. This is Tasmania's plan to use its considerable hydro and wind resources and provide a clean energy battery for the mainland and we're going to be talking to the man in charge of this project. Uh, very soon. But joining me first, as usual, is David Leach, ITK analyst. How are you, David? I'm well, Charles. Trust all our listeners as well as also. Fantastic. And I'd like to introduce also Chris Gwynn. He is the Program Director at Hydro Tasmania for the Battery of the Nation project. Chris, thanks for joining us. Nice to be here, Giles. Look, it's great that you have come on board because um, this is a fascinating project and um, we'd like to know more about it and um, what sort of considerations are, are being weighed up and competing against other plans and other schemes and other technologies. But look, broadly, why don't you give us a really quick overview of what it is, just in the broadest possible sense? Yeah, sure. I guess um, uh, this idea is uh, comes off the fact that we, you know, we're about to have a it's quite a significant transformation in, in the Australian energy industry over the next 10 to 15 years. And look, I think that uh, if Tasmania was more closely integrated with the rest of the energy system, which um, means more interconnection, um, there's a really, really great development opportunity for Tasmania to contribute more to the national market. But also there's a great opportunity for um, the rest of the national market, in particular Victoria, to, to take advantage of some of the great assets that are down here in Tassie, in particular, I guess, um, having um, much more closer access to some of the, I guess, positive attributes of the hydropower system, particularly its storage and its flexible um, and dispatchable generation. So you've just done a feasibility study and just just released one. What's it broadly said? I mean, tell us how much potential is there in pumped hydro capacity and how much potential is there in, say, extra wind capacity and, um, look, you never know, even extra solar capacity. Yeah, no, we've just um, released a number of different reports that all sort of link together. Um, I guess they all hang together on the basis that um, if you if you do have more interconnection between Tasmania and Victoria in particular, a couple of things happen in terms of um, those two energy systems. So uh, you will you will, uh, our view is that um, under those scenarios you will um, trigger a lot of uh, wind development here in Tasmania in particular. Uh, now that's because at the moment there's um, Tasmania has a lot of uh, undeveloped wind potential here. Um, that really has been constrained by access to a market. So uh, when you have more interconnection, um, those development opportunities obviously have access to a significant uh, market in Victoria, um, which will only get bigger in the sense of, of the retirement of coal-fired generation that's coming. Um, uh, and, you know, we're talking about thousands of megawatts of potential wind development here in Tassie that that, that would most likely trigger. Now, from a Tasmanian perspective, that's a really interesting development because um, uh, you currently have a hydropower system down here that's very focused on the provision of energy, um, and that's really about keeping the lights on 24-7. When you have a lot of um, new wind development going on here in, on, on Ireland, but also have um, access to a lot of new wind and solar development in Victoria, there's a great opportunity to repurpose um, a chunk of the existing hydropower system to be far more focused on um, providing services that we think are going to be needed in the future. And that's really around um, storage um, and having flexible, controllable capacity, which is what a hydropower system naturally has. 
So um, what are you looking at then in, in, in terms of construction? So you need to build extra capacity or expand some existing capacity. You're talking about pumped hydro. Do you, I mean, I think I've seen the figure up to four gigawatts of capacity. I don't actually know how much many hours of storage that is, and perhaps you could um, um, help us with that one. But is, is there like a stage project? Do you, do you sort of see at some stage we could probably do a thousand gig, um, one, um, um, yeah, a thousand um, megawatts and another stage, you know, twice that and then... If all was good, you know, double that again. Yeah, definitely. The the four thousand eight hundred megawatt number that we put out in the in our pumped hydro study a couple of weeks ago was really it's it's across a whole suite of different development opportunities. So it's not just one place. Um, the the purpose of that work that we were doing was we wanted to find um, around two and a half thousand megawatts of development potential for pumped hydro because pumped hydro in the Tasmanian system. Um, increases the flexibility on, on how you manage the water resources and it also increases the capacity of, of our system to be able to inject power into the system over short periods of time. Um, so we've got lots and lots of development opportunities for pumped hydro down here in Tassie. Um, you know, if you've got a topography that, that lent, lent itself to hydropower development in the first place, it's sort of um, quite intuitive to expect to see there's a lot of there's a lot of um, opportunity for us to augment the current system with um, with pumped hydro installations. Um, a lot of those opportunities are either in the Mersey Fourth scheme or on the west coast. Um, and you know we found far more than the two and a half thousand megawatts that um, that we think we would like to have as a portfolio of options over the next couple of years. Um, in terms of the actual development, yeah, it is a stage process. So um, you know how much pumped hydro we would develop here is very dependent on um, uh, how much interconnection is how much more interconnection is developed between Tasmania and Victoria. Um, you know how big uh, are the interconnectors? Where do they come into Tasmania? All those things have an impact on. I guess which opportunities we would choose to develop first. So you know, you could, uh, an indicative scenario would be is you know we've got we've got opportunities to develop say three four hundred megawatt sites and also six or seven hundred megawatt sites of pumped hydro. So based on how interconnection was would be developed over the coming years would um, would give us I guess the indicator of of how we would uh, get on and start I guess building pumped hydro installations uh, down here in Tasmania. And um, how many of those interconnectors could you want, want, want to build? Just very quickly, and I'll, I'll hand over to David. Yeah, sure. Um, we've just released, um, as well as our shortlist of pumped hydro sites, we've also released um, what we've called a, um, a, a report, which is called Future State Analysis of the Tasmanian System. So under that scenario, we sort of took an unconstrained view of the Tasmanian energy system. So just how big could it be in terms of um, developing the wind down here and also developing pumped hydro? We ended up with a scenario that had another four interconnectors on top of Bassling, so it ended up being at about 3,800 megawatts of, of um, interconnection between Victoria and Tasmania. That triggered about 3,500 megawatts of pumped hydro development and um, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but five to 6,000 megawatts of wind development here. So that was really like the size of the opportunity. Um, how much of that actually occurs it really depends on the economics of each interconnector. So um, the beauty about this idea is that, that um, there's lots of options in terms of matching this sort of development process with um, what's going on across the rest of the market. So um, the market can invest in one more interconnector and then, uh, and then the economics and then the market will obviously respond and other things will happen. And then the market can make another decision at some point in time about further interconnection. So what we really wanted to do was try and, I guess, to articulate the size of the opportunity um, for the next 10 or 15 years. So Chris, it's great. You did a, quite a bunch of modeling uh, around this. Uh, I guess that um, just very briefly, how did the modeling that you've done differ from other models that you've seen just very briefly? 
Um, what we were really looking at, um, we took, a, an op, I guess, an approach from the modelling work we're doing. Um, when you take the retirement schedule of coal-fired generation in particular and what it will potentially, I guess, the impacts it will have on the market, um, what we tried to do is match what Tasmania could bring to that in terms of the new services that would be re provided, required, sorry. In particular, there's the services around storage and flexible capacity. So I guess the, the, the most interesting thing about the work that we've done is is we've it's the first time that we've looked really closely and I guess anyone's looked really closely on how the Tasmanian hydropower system would respond to more interconnection um, because it would operate in a very very different way to what it does now and certainly if you start investing in pumped hydro um, you start to have a very different sort of hydropower system in terms of the role that it plays in the market so I think that's the key takeout is is that um, that in this transforming market that we have, you know, if you do have more interconnection with Tasmania, um, you have the opportunity to bring um, the hydropower system closer to the rest of the market, which has some really distinct advantages in terms of um, uh, low cost storage, either existing or, or future development, and also the ability to bring that online uh, when it's needed. And if we just talk about your pumped hydro um, options, if you rank them in terms of price or cost, how would you see them stacking up um, for say the first gigawatt compared to some of the other options? We've seen about four projects in South Australia, the Snowy 2, Origin's talking about a, uh, a million a megawatt at Shoalhaven. In that sort of, where, where do you see your best options uh, sitting in that, in that list? Yeah, um, David, we've got thousands of megawatts of development opportunity that range between one and 1.5 million a megawatt for pumped hydro development. So in terms of what else is out there in the market at the moment, that's at the bottom end of, of what you're seeing going around by quite a large margin. Um, what it's also important to note is that um, the, I guess the Tasmanian opportunity um, is also access to the existing system in terms of its capacity and storage. So if you have more uh, more access to other forms of energy in Tasmania, it allows you to use the hydro hydropower system, use the existing storage and the existing capacity. And that essentially, in terms of bringing that to market, comes at pretty much zero cost because it's already there. You're just using existing assets in the system for a different purpose. I get that. You, you, you move it from an energy basis to a power basis. And uh, I guess my next question is a, a more complex one, but I'm still hoping for a brief answer. Do you think that uh, the current energy only market uh, is capable of producing the investment that you would signals that you would need to make? Or do you need to have a, a, a counterparty PPA? I mean, would you be happy to run some of this development merchant if you had the transmission? Are you mean merchant in terms of the pumped hydro development? Yes, or even... Yeah, look, I... You're yeah, we, we, we haven't focused too much on, I guess, the financial models or the funding models for the pumped hydro investment. What, what we're focused on, what we think the market's going to need. Um, and if the market's going to need storage, uh, Tasmanian pumped hydro investment is going to be, um, we believe, some of the most competitive options that are going around. Look, um, do, does the market actually have the financial signals there at the moment to reward this sort of investment? Probably not. There's probably some still water to go under the bridge on that one. Um, but we think that, you know, with these investments, because they're such long, they're such long-term investments. You need to start working on the development of the options now, um, and then engage in the conversation around how the market is going to reward those services in the future. So, Chris, I, 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 it must only be in Tasmania that still, still water goes under the bridge. But <laughs> um, just leaving that aside, uh, I, I, I guess the point you, you talked about the market signals. The main market signal you would actually look at is is cap prices. That's the sort of um, and they're really stuck in the doldrums still, aren't they? Uh, and haven't really moved in years, despite all this excitement about 
the tightness of the market. As far as the transmission link goes, what do you need to do to get the first of the extra transmission links built? Yeah, so TAS Networks have, um, as of November of last year, have started work on, I guess, an assessment process for further interconnection between Tasmania and Victoria. So I think that they're looking at putting something out pretty soon, I guess, um, preliminary analysis on, on the work they've done so far. Uh, and we're obviously supporting that process because um, we need to we need to be clear with Tasmania Networks as to how the hydropower system would respond to that to that process. Look, it's um, I think the assessment of interconnection is a tricky one in the market at the moment because everyone everyone knows that the RIT T process. <laughs> it's a dog. I mean, the RIT minus one test is basically a test designed to make sure that transmission's never built. That's the way I think about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenging environment, um, but the the reality is that. That if we if we don't crack this nut from a national perspective, we'll potentially end up with five systems that are built quite in a quite an inefficient way over the next ten or fifteen years. So, but look, we've got to we've got to work this one out. Um, I don't I don't have the answer to that one directly myself at the moment, David. But I think that um, what we need to do here is show what what um, value Tasmania could potentially bring to the market if we had more interconnection, um, and hopefully that'll help the conversation around you know sensible strategic investments across the whole market. So I think this is the point where I don't think the energy only um, gross pool market or the RIT test are the kind of tools that we need to build the new market. And, and I'm keen to keep exploring that. But if we just uh, look at it, uh, one of the other things your work did was to compare open cycle gas uh, with with pumped hydro. And you concluded that pumped hydro was cheaper. Uh, well, our pump, at our sort pumped of, hydro anyway, David. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. At sort of nine dollar gas uh, that's whereas uh, I, I guess a related question in the modeling this is a little bit tangential but important to me you, the marginal value for pumped hydro storage is pretty low like the marginal cost of building pumped hydro the extra making the dam bigger to, to put it simply and putting some more water in it that part of the capital cost is relatively low compared to the cost of building the power unit the generation facility and that's what makes Snowy 2 so interesting because it's got 175 hours of storage versus 2,000 megawatts of, of, of power capacity. In the modelling that you did, how often do you see that long duration storage ended up being used? I was interested to look at your sort of diurnal studies that you did as part of that. Yeah, so the work that we did showed that there's going to be significant periods of time. In, in, I guess the important thing to note with this one too, David, is that it's um it's hard to look at the existing system and the way it works now and sort of um, make a direct comparison to how it's going to work in the future. A system that's got 70, 80% of cold fire generation, which is sort of what we've had over what we've had over the past few years, and it was you know 90% if you go back far enough. How a system like that operates with a system that's got predominantly wind and solar is a, is a very different prospect. Our view is that once you get once you start to get quite high penetration of wind and solar, you, you need quite significant storage in your system. So uh, you do need a lot of storage. Um, so the modeling that we've done showed that if you've Got a lot of storage with you know storage durations between eight and 36 hours you are running them um a lot uh, and that tends to tell you that you do have a lot of gaps um or periods of deficit in the system um, where you need to um, inject energy back into the system which is what pumped hydro allows you to do so um the good thing so we we, we really i mean our view was that um 
uh, under a lot of different scenarios, there's a real sweet spot of around eight to 36 hours of, of storage. Now, most of the ones, most, and we use that as criteria in our assessment process as well. So nearly all the sites that we're looking at down here in Tassie sit somewhere in there. We have one site that's a bit longer that goes out to about 57 or 60 hours. Um, but we believe in terms of a value knee point, there's lots and lots of value, potential future value in pumped hydro uh, with storage durations around there. Um, in, that, in that sort of storage duration bracket, um, if you don't have enough storage in the system, um, the next best economic option is open cycle gas fired generation. Um, and our view is that, you know, you will have a lot of that coming in as the storage um, requirements um, uh, aren't met as we transition. But certainly from our perspective is that that's, that's, a, that's a huge opportunity for, for Hydro Tasmania um, over, the next, over the next 10 or 15 years. And I guess uh, I'll hand back to Giles in a second, but I think the reciprocating engines and even newer technology that might help with some of that. Uh, the only other question I had just immediately was around the wind. You also did some studies uh, which showed, as I found in myself, that Tasmanian wind is less correlated uh, with, say, South Australia and Victoria than, than even New South Wales wind. Uh, if I could ask it, how, how much uh, reduction in the overall wind variance in, for the, across the NEM in the portfolio variance can you get by shoving a whole lot of Tasmanian wind in there? Yeah, we. I don't think we got as far as that in the analysis we've done. So what what we did um, show that there's there's a, a much lower correlation between um, Tasmanian wind and Victorian and South Australian. So from an overall systems perspective, that means that you end up having to build less generation um, if you can take advantage of that natural diversity. So. Um, uh, there's probably some more work to do, uh, probably not just not just by us, but by others, to actually understand well, well how do those very different ratios look like? What do they look like um, if you can if you can get more diversity in those wind resources going forward, um, and how much value that is. So we've we quantified it to a certain degree in terms of what we think the value is from a Tasmanian perspective, um, uh, but I think there's probably more work required nationally on understanding that issue, and also you know what we did also realise that in the work we've done is that um, depending on the ratios of solar and wind generation that come online from region to region has a very, very big impact on what sort of storage you need. So not only how much of, of the wind and solar do you have, but also the, the uh, ratio between the two technologies. Having a system um, where you have predominantly solar generation produces a different storage profile to one that's got a lot more wind in it. And I think from a, from a national perspective, I think there's still some more work to do there um, over the coming years. I agree. I'm handing back to Giles. I'll just make the comment that I don't think the uh, enough data has been work has been done on the wind resource uh, to actually really uh, scope out that portfolio impact. Over to you, Giles. Yeah, thanks. And look, fascinating conversation, guys. Um, just put a quick uh, thank you out to our sponsors, Solaray Energy and What Watches. I've got a couple of quick follow-up questions, Chris. One is you mentioned that pumped hydro, Tasmania's pumped hydro, is cheaper than other pumped hydro uh, is that because the wind resource is cheaper or is there another factor there no no we're just talking there giles about the construction costs so um our construction costs for nearly all of our opportunities are somewhere between one and 1.5 million a megawatt which is at the bottom end of of i guess a lot of the development opportunities that are going around australia at the moment that's predominantly driven by a couple of different factors one where you we're utilizing the existing system so a number of our opportunities have um 
uh, are using existing reservoirs as a lower reservoir or an upper reservoir, so that um, reduces the cost. We've also got lots of opportunities where you can get a significant elevation change, so you can get a significant head in the installation with very little horizontal displacement. So what that basically means is we have lots of large reservoirs, and, and the Merseyforth is a good example, that are surrounded by very steep, very high hills. So you can actually get a really efficient system and the length of the tunnel that you have to you have to dig is relatively short and if anyone that, that uh, has had a look um, in any detail on pumped hydro technology it's the the cost of the tunnel is, is clearly one of the big factors in mm. um, in the overall cost Do, have you have you got a rough estimate for the cost of wind energy in tasmania when, you, when you're sort of making your assessment oh you've got me on the run there giles um, no that's okay that's okay <laughs> um, they used 60 dollars was the number that was used in the study but that was a generic number rather than a tasmanian number the capacity factors for existing wind farms in tasmania are up around 40 percent compared to say 33 to 35 percent from existing older technology farms in the rest of the net there you go Another question, Chris, uh, there's a whole bunch of different schemes around the place. There's the Snowy 2.0, of course, and look, they're, they're already talking about Snowy 3.0 and Snowy 4.0. Plus, there's numer numerous other pumped hydro storage in South Australia and possibly Queensland. Well, and, and definitely Queensland. We heard from uh, GenX Power last week and uh, also some projects in New South Wales. Is it a bit of a race between them or is, is there room for everyone? How, how are you seeing that? Well, look, I think there's room for everyone. I guess the, the the challenge for the market is going to be the transition process. So, you know, the storage that the system's going to need is going to be heavily dependent on, I guess, the nature of the transition from coal-fired to wind and solar predominantly. So, you know, if... if uh, do, I do, guess, do you mean planned or unplanned? Is that, is that the... Well, <laughs> well um, planned, planned, planned or unplanned, the pace of it as well. Um, there's a whole bunch of different variables that I think that are going to come into play. Look, I think it's a really positive thing from a national perspective that there's a, there are a lot of opportunities under development because we actually don't know how much we're going to need and when we're going to need it and where we're going to need it. So I think from a market perspective, having a number of developments um, uh, being, I guess, uh, progressed at this point in time, knowing it takes a while for these sorts of opportunities to um, to get to a point where you can start constructing things. I think it's a good thing for us to do. I think we should be looking we should be wanting a number of different options. We should be we should be able to assess them against what we think is going to happen in terms of the transition process, and that'll help us as a market understand which which opportunities are going to provide the most value to the market from a development perspective. And this is what I dislike about the Snowy process in that it was a pick a winner process. Snowy two may will be a great project, but I think that if the if we wanted a two gigawatt long duration project it should have been bid by the government and they should have invited some reverse auctions and as you also point out in the report it's not likely to be any single technology in all likelihood to be some mixture of uh, uh, pumped hydro gas uh, batteries maybe even concentrating solar and, and as well as the point about you, you can't rely on the cap price to get all of this built and you can't rely on the RIT test to get the transmission built, you're going to have to have more of a capacity, more of a planned uh, approach to it overall, I personally think. Can I just ask about the um, Tamblin report that came out last year? This was in relation to the second interconnector that was studied after the outage from the BassLink in 2016. The Tamblin report raised a few concerns. One was about the potential developments in Victoria, particularly with more battery storage 
and it suggested that maybe the value of that link, that extra link, would be reduced if there was a lot of battery storage and other storage in Victoria. Is that something that um, could influence your plans here for this big battery? No, no, look, we're pretty relaxed about what will happen in terms of chemical battery storage. You know, I think David's got a good point. Um, we did we did say in the report that our view is that, that through this transition, we're going to need a range of different technologies providing um, system storage for lots of different reasons. Um, the the Tamblin report uh, was an assessment of the interconnector, uh, I guess, business case at that point in time. Um, a lot's happened since then. Um, I think that one of the conditions that... Um, that Tamblin did call out in that review was that if you have conditions change, you know, such that um, the Tasmanian state government or Hydro or Tas networks um, uh, consider uh, there would be material such that we need to get on and, and do the assessment again. I think, you know, what you've seen over the past, uh, I guess, 18 months or so since that report's been released is, would, would um, meet that criteria quite well. And he, I guess the Tamblin report also called out a number of different variables that could affect the business case in an, um, either way. Hmm. For example, one of the other variables he called out was further interconnection between South Australia and the Eastern States. Um, and we know that Electronet is, is seriously looking at that project at the moment. Sure. So look, you know, if, if we were to wait for some concrete signal to come along to say, yes, you should get on with an assessment, you know, definitely get on with an assessment process for an interconnector and be 100% sure that it was going to it was going to stack up, well, then it's probably going to be too late by the time we start. So, you know, you've, you've got to get on with this work um, because they have such long lead times. You need to you need to be engaging in that process to ensure that when the opportunity actually does crystallise, you're in a position to take advantage of it. Hmm. Um, and I guess that's the big thing from a Tasmanian perspective you know whether it's more interconnection or pumped hydro investment these aren't short projects so if you if you don't get ready for the conversation that's coming um over the next couple of years around how do we how do we manage this transition you've really missed the boat mm. um, and i guess from our perspective that's why we're moving as quickly as we can at the moment can I just ask one little question before I'm inviting Dave back in? Um, electric vehicles, I'm, I'm not too sure whether this is within your remit or not, but um, Tasmania sounds like an you know, incredibly obvious place to have electric vehicles. You've got basically 100% clean energy apart from um, the use of a gas-fired generator from time to time. You've got an import bill of about a billion dollars a year. Seems like a fine place for electric vehicle incentives or... Um, <laughs> Um, any, what, what's the thinking down there about that? It, it does, doesn't it? It's an active look. It's an active conversation down here, and it has been for quite a while in Tasmania. Look, I think, um, I think it'll be an interesting conversation around. Uh, I guess, you know, if this idea of this battery of the nation idea continues to develop, well, then you start to. Um, what will happen down here is that a lot of different market participants, whether they be existing market participants or or, uh, you know, for example, new industries like lit, like EVs, will start to have, there'll be a broader conversation around well, what does this future energy look like, energy landscape look like for Tasmania. If you look at the work we've done, under the Battery of the Nation scenario, you're looking at a Tasmanian energy landscape that looks very, very different to what it does now. It's significantly larger. It's producing far more energy um, and capacity when it's needed than, than the island on its own would ever need. So, you know, you, it's really quite a transformative um, opportunity, not just for Tasmania, not just, sorry, in terms of the contribution tra Tasmania makes, but for Tasmania itself in terms of um, of how the economy is structured down here. So, Chris, if I, if I just two things I'd like to ask about, you've got some industrial users of power down there, the Boyne, Boyne Island smelter, not Boyne Island, sorry, your uh, Bill Base aluminium smelter um, uh, depends on the hydroelectricity. Are, are they happy with the ideas you've been, have you talked to them at all? 
Look, there's been a number of different conversations. Obviously, um, we've got guys in our business that that talk with the major customers down here on a regular basis. You know, it's it is important to note that you know um, around 60% of of our total um, customer load down here in Tassie is with a four customers so they're quite significant in terms of the way the energy system works down here look so you know those conversations are, are always ongoing and i guess um you know they'll they'll be reading our reports with as much interest as anyone else will because you know obviously um there would be some potential um opportunities for them as well in terms of an opportunity a future that's just like like it's described in this report Okay, and then the other thing I wanted to ask about is the DC versus AC transmission. Uh, you've had experience with DC transmission there, and as you point out, the cost of that is developed in the report. The cost of DC transmission is probably coming down. I guess I just wanted to ask, very, if you were designing the, the transmission backbone as part of this integrated system plan, would you make it a DC one or would you just strengthen the existing AC links? Oh, I'm not a transmission engineer, David. That would be very ambitious of me to make a make a claim on that one. What I would say, though, is that um, a lot of people do carry a bit of a myth in terms of um, underground HVDC transmission. So, you know, look, and um, that uh, either A, it's expensive or it's unreliable or the technology just doesn't, isn't up to scratch. Um, there's a couple of things that people do need to remember is that, um, you know, when BassLink was put in, it's almost in terms of it's 20 year old technology now. So, um, you know, if I was to hand you a phone from a Nokia phone from the late 90s or I was to hand you with a brand new smartphone, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know which one you'd want to take. Um, HVDC technology, especially undersea HVDC technology, has come a long way over that time period. So globally, it's it's being put in all over the place. So um, there's a lot of significant projects that are underway in Europe at the moment where they're putting um, very, very big um, HVDC new interconnectors in. Um, and not only not only um, has the technology come along in terms of its reliability, but also in terms of the services it can provide as well. So I think the work TAS networks are doing will be really, really interesting from a market perspective because it will be the first First time, I think that that um, a TNSB like that has had a really really close look at what um, you know um, modern HVDC technology can do. So I think uh, that'll be a really interesting part of the work they're doing. I think as well, David. Hmm. Great to talk to you, Chris. Good stuff. Look, Chris, thank you very much for that. That was a fantastic conversation, um, and look, good luck with the project. No, thank you, guys. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, look, don't leave yet. Um, David and I just have a very one-minute conversation about some of the things last week and coming up this week. David, I think that the only notable thing that happened last week was, um, well, there was the, the politics around the neg, but I think I'm going to leave that one um, go because it's all a bit ridiculous and all a bit absurd. But the Lau Lau Wind Farm down in Victoria was an interesting one. This has been, um, the up, most, most of the output's going to be taken by Aurora, which is the uh, packaging spin-off from the old Amcor, one of the big industrial users in the country and so it's going to be 80% renewables and um, seeking to reduce its costs quite significantly so that's interesting and it comes with some firming contracts um, of great interest for those um, techno people. Um, be interested in your comment on that and also you've got something interesting to point out about New South Wales futures. Uh, yeah, a couple of things, um, Giles. So I, I am interested in that Lalal uh, wind farm because it seems to be another one in Victoria with a, a re quite a low starting price on the PPA. The details are never disclosed, but all these numbers that are coming in at $60 and less and $55 and less uh, are sort of uh, very encouraging uh, and make those projects very competitive. And I'd also just point out in that uh, that the behind the meter projects in the commercial space that so we're seeing an ongoing flow of them 
And, you know, there's 100 kilowatts, 200 kilowatts, up to half a megawatt size or even one or two megawatts. And that's got to be chewing into the market all the time. Absolutely. Uh, I think the Clean Energy Regulator says it's going to increase fourfold this year. It's going to be 100 megawatts at least of that sort of, um, you know, bigger behind the meter solar. Mm. And those are customers that won't be coming back to the big gen tailors. As we know, one of the ongoing issues is, is getting more competition into the market. And I do see all the investment in renewable energy, both in front and behind the meter, as, as starting to provide uh, resource competition, which, which has to be good for consumers. Uh, you also mentioned the futures prices, just looking at the data, and if, I won't be able to publish this till Tuesday probably, but it does look to me, if you look out to 2022, that the South Australian baseload futures price in that year is within $4 of the uh, New South Wales price because, uh, in my opinion, South Australians can see that their price is going to come down and New South, New South, in New South Wales where new investment is running well behind the uh, amount needed to deal with the uh, coal plant closures that are going to come. And so this, the market's already starting to reflect this in prices. And then, of course, if we look at the week ahead, Giles, I guess not only have we got the large-scale solar conference that you're involved in, but um, we must be getting close to the release of this ISP first, first version. Well, I hope it doesn't happen in the middle of our large-scale solar conference, David. That would be very inconvenient. But, um, yes, they did say the end of June, so um, there's that. And um, last week, last Friday, at uh, just after 5 o'clock, in the witching hour, the Energy Security Board dumped another 10 working papers on various aspects of the National Energy Guarantee. Um, a bit unfortunate that they're dumping this thing at this time. They did the same the week before with their sort of policy detail, but um, we'll be trying to make sense of that over the next coming days. So Chris's report was 144 pages. I hope, I hope some of the other ones are a little shorter. It's, it's, uh, I'm going to need a new pair of glasses soon. <laughs> yeah, I reckon you would have consumed a lot of coffee when you uh, read that report, Dad. <laughs> good stuff. Look, um, Chris, thanks again. Um, thanks once again for joining us and uh, good luck with this project. It's going to be fascinating to see how it evolves. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. And thank you, listeners. Uh, please tell your friends about this podcast. Leave a, leave a comment, leave a suggestion, and we'll talk again next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by SolarRay Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.